What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Forgotten Jesus podcast. You just missed our conversation about Pastor's Otter that he is getting. <laughs> Pastor wishes. I'm trying to get a You know, they're actually, you can actually go online to Instagram and yeah. find people that have pet otters. Yeah, you can. They make great pets, so by the way. For, for Christmas, Pastor wants gold, frankincense, and an otter. <laughs> okay, moving on. So today we're talking about oh, the two kingdoms. That are at war with each other. Yes. Well, did I overemphasize that or is that right? No, you're exactly right. So back to Matthew 2, because we're back in the same vein as last week. Matthew 2, I told you to highlight a few insights along the way Mm -hmm. as it pertained to King Herod. This passage from... Let me give a broad stroke here. Let me just back up 30,000 foot. Well, if, well, as you're backing up, don't back away from the mic. can't hear anything. Let's back up. <laughs> Let me give you the broad stroke here. This paddle is, this paddle, this, I'm thinking about otters again. This passage is way bigger than just gifts to Jesus on, you know, which we wrongly think Christmas morning, which is not. We learned it was a year or two later. This is bigger than that. What, what Matthew is establishing here is there's a battle that's happening and you don't even know about it. There's mm-hmm. a battle of kingdoms, two kingdoms gonna go at it. And this is the battle for our whole life. In fact, everything we do is the question, what kingdom will we live in? Will we live in the kingdom of power and pride and selfishness and sin and Satan? Or are we gonna live in the kingdom of peace and humility and shalom and Jesus? And the question is, which one? Now, how do I have these two kingdoms coming together? You have two kings. A right. king kingdom has to have a king, both of them. On one side, you have King Herod, On the other side, you have what? King Jesus. King Jesus. Now, watch this. We read this uh, last week, but I want to read it again. I want you to just go through candy and read one through three now, just quickly. Okay. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise... How many times you hear the word king? Number one, (laughs) King Herod. Keep going. Wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Number two. For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod number three heard this, he was deeply disturbed. Okay, that's it. That's all we need. Okay, so we have in three lines, three mentions of the word king. So right away, Matthew's cluing us. Okay, we're talking about King Herod. Now, let me tell you this. Uh, I'll, I'll save it to the end. Just remind me to say why that's important. Somebody remind me in here uh, to say that's important. Okay, let's talk about Herod's kingdom so we get a background, okay? Herod was the king of the Jews. He was technically half Jewish, by birth, but his family, he was not a practicing Jew. He, he would not be considered Jewish in the sense of Torah observant and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Herod's wealth at that time because of his family background was staggering. This man was worth so much money because of the family business. Anybody, anybody want to take a guess, if you're listening, as to what the family business was? Cattle. He wasn't Jewish, so he's not going to do any Jewish kind of things. Oh. I mean, well, he, was part Jewish, he was part Jewish, but he, he's not going to associate with the Jews. Well, I just thought... No, that was good. Moving no, that was good. Spice trading. Spice trading. Spice trading. Like, How do you know this? Frankincense and myrrh, maybe? I don't know anything. I don't know. I just researched and studied it. He, <laughs> that's Candy's nice way of saying, I don't believe you on the podcast. No, I do. That's no, exactly I'm just right. asking Russell how, knows, like, Russell if, knew if it, it was in the, like... Some Vivian old right manuscript or something, yeah. you know? No, well, no, there is a record of this somewhere. Yeah. I don't have, I don't That's have, very my, I, interesting I don't have any footnotes, sorry, on the podcast, but I'm sure Robert Hutchison could find it, put it in the show notes. He spent his wealth on two things, okay? Spent his wealth on two things. Oh, homes. Building cities, close, 
and building monuments to display his greatness. Herod was, he lived in a constant state of, of, of panic and fear. And Herod has three sons that will later be in the time of Jesus, which this is predating mm, Jesus, yeah. uh, his ministry. But Herod the greatest is leading at the time of Jesus's birth. Uh, Herod Antipas, Herod Agrippa, Agrippa and Herod Philip. No, is, is it Agrippa? No, it's no, it's not. Agrippa's another one. Is it Antipas? You just threw me off now with Agrippa. <laughs> is Agrippa one of them, Robert? Look at that. I, I don't think it's Agrippa. It's Philip. I don't know where I would have gotten that from. Herod Agrippa's in Paul's time, but that's a, uh, that's a good one. But there's three Herod's sons. That's not has nothing to do with the podcast, uh, what we're talking about. But Herod the dad, Herod the Great. He was a very humble man, by the way. <laughs> called himself Herod the Great. He was so paranoid that he built giant palaces on top of large mountains. He just built these palaces to get away from army invasion. Mm -hmm. He was so prideful and so arrogant that he wanted to be known for his craftsmanship, his engineering ability, that after he designed and laid out the plans for some of these buildings, i.e. Masada's, one of them we'll talk about. Another one is the Temple Mount. He actually mm -hmm. was the one who enlarged it. After he built these buildings, you ready for this? He destroyed all of the engineering plans because he wanted to be known as the master builder Herod. Mm. Okay. So nobody can copy, nobody can wow. replicate, replicate. Nobody can replicate okay. it. And, and even to this day, as those in this room who have been in Israel and listening, they're, they're overwhelming. To think of the architecture and the engineering ability mm -hmm. and the stone work, I mean, even in the temple, to move those, I mean, it's unbelievable. You're just in awe, even to this day, 2,000 years later, of his architectural ability. He built three things uh, that we talk about in the Bible and are known today, and I'm going to make show you the significance. The first one's Masada. Masada, if you remember, uh, you know what Masada is, Andrew? Mm, no idea. Have you been? No, you haven't been to no, Israel. I've not been. Uh, Messias, Masada was a giant fortress that Herod built on top of a mountain by the Dead Sea, outside of Jerusalem, outside of uh, the land of, down toward um, the, the trade route down to Egypt from Israel, outside of the Dead Sea Scrolls and, and the Qumran. He built this palace so that he could protect himself from outside invading forces. And it's on top of a mountain. There's one little you know, snake path to get up and you got to get up and it's really treacherous to get up. It has the nicest materials at the time in this place. I mean, the, the tile on the floor and the architecture is unbelievable. Here's the problem with this building, which I think is fascinating. Do you want to know something interesting about this complex? I do. Do you remember this, Kenny? What's fascinating about Masada? This opulent, luxurious military fortress on top of a mountain. Well, isn't it eventually overtaken? It's eventually overtaken, but here's what's fascinating. Herod never... Went there. Went there. Really? Right. He never stayed there. He never even went there. He just, I mean, this is the kind of money this guy has at his disposal. He just can build things, just say, I'm Herod the Great. Now, Masada, we know, happens to be the place where the Jews retreated from the Roman invasion, AD 70, and pushed them down to Masada. I think it's 950-something or 60-something Jewish people are going to jump off of the mountain of Masada and kill themselves. Or actually, they're going to kill them, so they're going to jump. They're going to kill themselves, a few jumped, and then they're going to die rather than being attacked and conquered by the Romans. Okay, which is which is interesting uh, to think about. So that's Masada. The second thing Herod built as the master builder was the temple. Now, the temple in David's day 
which was destroyed and rebuilt by Zerubbabel, Nehemiah with the walls, that temple was small. Herod decides he's going to expand it three times to have a, a place to meet and a court for the Gentiles and a trading area and a bazaar, a shop, all this. Why in the world would Herod, as a nominal Jew, pagan living, the way he lived, pagan living king, do this for the Jewish people? Why in the world would he build this? Try to have allies in them? Partly, partly, yeah, but more than that. So they would be indebted to him? Uh, part of that, but you're going a different route. He wanted to be known as Herod the Master Builder. Builder. Yes, and he knew the temple was one of the wonders, great wonders of the world, and he mm. knew people would mm. come from all over the world, to, and they'd be like, wow, look at this place. Herod built this place, okay? But the last one, which is important to our story today in Matthew 2, is a place called Herodium. Herodium. Herodium was a palace that was built on top of a mountain, similar to Masada, but smaller. Herodi Herodium uh, is an interesting place because it's believed to be the place where Herod the Great is buried. You can go there today. We, we, the last tour, we didn't take people there. The tour before we did, but it's a fortress on top. Now, why is Herodium important for this passage in Matthew chapter 2? Why do you think? I, I oh, have no idea. This is where the wise men go. <laughs> no, that's a good guess, though. No, you ready for this? We could put a picture of it uh, uh, in the show notes. But Herodium was built adjacent to the city of Bethlehem. Here's what's crazy about Herodium. Herodium is not a mountain. It's not. It wasn't a hill or anything. Herod basically built a mountain out of dirt for himself. Oh wow! That's how much money and and and, and uh, uh, that's how many resources like, this man how had. How do you do that in that time without bulldozers and stuff? You got a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of power. Wow. He builds a mountain from nothing. You ready for this? Before the birth of Jesus, where this huge mountain, this huge hill, it's, it's a mountain, looks like a mountain, and a fortress on top, you ready for this, is overshadowing this smallest, mm. tiniest, wow. insignificant city and in all of Israel, <laughs> Bethlehem, Bethlehem. Now, keep that in mind as we compare wow. that kingdom of opulence mm -hmm. and uh, luxury and power and prestige and mm -hmm. money. Let's compare it to the kingdom of Jesus, okay. which is a kingdom of peace and humility. Okay. How, here's the question. And, and by the way, a lot of this, uh, th this contrast I learned from uh, my friend and our friend at, with the Bama podcast, Marty Solomon, actually turned me on to this idea, which I think is amazing. A lot of, a lot of the stuff I'm going to share is stuff I've, I've added to it, but I think the concept's amazing. It's the battle of two kingdoms, mm -hmm. right? Uh, here's the question. How does God choose to enter the world? Now think about this. Jesus is coming, is preaching a message to the world about the character of God. So how Jesus comes and enters the world is going to speak volumes about the person he is mm -hmm. and the ministry he's going to lead. How does God decide to engage with the most Hellenistic man, culturally, worldly man the world has ever seen? What does God do? He comes. In the in, most humble way he possibly could. In humility. Think about it. The complete, <laughs> complete opposite. opposite yeah. I mean, you can't Good. make this up. It's unbelievable. The incarnation of God, Jesus Christ coming in the form of a man, is a blatant contradiction to the empire wow. and kingdom of the world. Mm. 
Now think about it. Let me give you a couple of things we've learned up to this point. Jesus' parents, poor peasants, mm-hmm. okay? Number two, Mary and Joseph had a scandal around them the entire time. But are you sure that's he's the dad? I don't believe that. So they had a scandal surrounding them. Mom and dad are struggling with rejection from the townspeople, from their own family. They don't even, number four, they don't even have a place to sleep in a room for an inn. The, the people that he was raised with and hung out with, they don't even want him around. They didn't want him in. Mm. He is pushed out to be born not in a kingdom or mm. a palace, but in a what? Feeding trough in a cave. In a cave. Wow. Wrapped in burial You're going. cloth. Cloths. Wrapped in strips yeah. of cloth, found in the cave. He's wow. laid in a feeding trough, and he's visited not by royalty or the priesthood or the Pharisees. Mm. He's visited by lowly shepherds. Not even trusted in court. Okay, you ready for this? Here's the point. When God himself shows up on the scene, mm-hmm. he comes lowly, quietly, and insignificantly. Why, why is that important? Because what that is showing us, here's the point I want to make. It's showing us how much God hates pride. Mm. Because he repels pride and he welcomes or embraces or invites humility. The reason he hates pride is because it's against the very nature of who he is. Mm. James chapter four, verse six tells us this. He gives grace to the humble, but repels, resists the what? The prideful. So the point of the birth narrative is to point to the humility of God. Now, I don't know if you know what the word humility means, but in English, the word humble uh, is gotten from the word Latin humilius or uh, humilitas, where the root of the word humus is found, where we get the word earth. Humus, earth, Mm. humility, earth. So to humble oneself, you ready for this, Mm. means literally to bow down to the earth, to come down to the earth. Now, why is that important? Well, first of all. Oh, good night. Wow. Are you going to love this? Yeah, I love it already. To bow down to earth. Now, watch this. When God tells Moses, I want you to build me a tabernacle Mm -hmm. so that I can what? Come down down and dwell on earth with my people, right? Mm. It's it's my book. It really makes no sense. The one who is high and lifted up is always from the Old Testament wanting to come and be down low with his people. Let me show you how it bookends. God's nation, when he takes them out of the bondage of Egypt with, with Moses in the Exodus, let me show you how it ends. When the nation is gathered together at the marriage supper, what does it say? Revelation 21. Now the dwelling of God with is with men. And he will be with them on earth. And they will be, because he's creating a new heaven and a new earth here. Mm. He will be with them. They will be his people. He will be their God. So the, so the incarnation is a picture of humility. Paul in Philippians chapter two. What does he say? Jesus taking the form of a servant, being obedient to the point of death, yes. even death on the cross, became mm-hmm. a human being. It was a hymn that was sung and humbled himself even to the point of death. Paul uses the word humility there. Now here's what's crazy. If you stop there, you think, wow, humility. Jesus starts in heaven. He comes down to to be born as a baby, dependent upon his family, but he humbles himself even more as a man. Then he humbles himself to the point of death. Then he humbles himself to the grave. So you think of Jesus's earthly ministry goes from heaven. If you draw a line, it keeps going down the ladder, down, 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 down. But verse nine is the uh, point of praise. It's the exaltation of the passage. What does he say? Therefore, because Jesus said this, God has highly 
exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, that one day every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. Why? Because Jesus humbled himself in obedience to the Father. This is why it's good news for us who humble ourselves. Blessed are the poor and what? Spirit. Spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is there. Jesus' first sermon, I mean, I can go a hundred of them. Luke chapter four, Nazareth, what does he says? He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has sent me to preach good news to the poor who are in spirit, the humble, the meek of the word, the lowly, the world, the lowly. Mm. Here's the question I'll ask you, because you're asking this. Why don't I see more of God in my life? Why don't I see the power of God working in my life? Well, the thought that's floating around in my head right now is, I'm, I'm going, I have to choose to be a part of a kingdom. And, my, and Herod's not here. So am I going to build my own kingdom? Which or, is prideful. Or am I going to enter into God's kingdom yeah. and be a part of that? Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with being successful. Sure. You know what I'm saying? I don't yeah. think that's what we're saying. And yeah. uh, we see successful people, God using them in the kingdom all the time. But again, whose kingdom are you building? Your own or, or the Lord's? I would say the reason, and I know from my own life, the reason we don't see more of the power and palpable presence of God in our life is because we stink with pride. Mm, Yeah. I know myself. Um, I always tell our church, yeah, you can smell it. You can smell it. Is that you or me? (laughs) We boast in ourself. We boast in our possessions. We boast in our education. We boast in our intellect. We boast Mm -hmm. in our self-sufficiency. Which is all perishable. All perishable. Instagram followers, Twitter following, our jobs, our platform, right. our cars. Uh, we can do it in the spiritual world, too. Some some people boast about their spiritual gifts. I'm prophesying you don't. Mm. I can heal you don't. I know yeah. the Bible more than you. God will not share. Here's what I'd say. God will not share the stage with anyone. Right. If you're on it, God says, I'm out of here. When you humble yourself and get off, I may come in. God despises the prideful, because it goes against his nature. Let me say this line. I want you to get this line. God's covenant with man is eternal, okay? But to be in God's presence is conditional. Let me say it again. God's covenant with mankind, Yahweh God, he made a covenant with mankind, that you're mine and I'm yours, Mm -hmm. and when you're born again as a believer, you can't do anything to separate you from the love of God, death, nor height, nor width, nor angels, nor demons, or anything else can separate us. However, however, the palpable presence and the power of God is conditional to our attitude and our actions, meaning if we live in a state of sin, the palpable presence of God and the power of God is not going to be on our life. Mm. If we live in a state of pride, it's not going to be on our life. Now, the question we're going to answer is this, and we're going to close. What does any of this have to do <laughs> with Herodium and Bethlehem? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Let me show you, let me bring you back to Bethlehem on that Christmas morning. Okay? Okay. Jesus' mom and dad. Which really wouldn't have been. December 25th. No, it wouldn't have been year, 25th. Sorry, yeah. Year two. Okay. In the first century, Herodium and the area of Bethlehem, because of Herodium, was being hailed as the place of kings. The world would show up and admire this man-made mountain built Mm -hmm. by the master builder, Herod himself. And of all cities and all of Israel, God is going to send his son to enter the world. He's going to send him to enter it in the shadow of the mountain of the king of the Jews, of the world, of their world, for sure. 
And at his arrival, we said this before, the announcements do not go out with golden trumpets or parades or messengers sent to the high courts of the land saying the king of the world has arrived. No, it doesn't go to the chief priests or the elders or the Pharisees or the scribes. There's no golden sealed envelope sent to royalty in the land. No, it's not to the ritzy rulers of the region. It's not to the haughty, taughty of society. The announcement doesn't go to the upper class. It goes to shepherds. We said this, the lowly. Right. Couldn't mm-hmm. testify in court. They were despised. Why do you think David was a shepherd, by the way, in the, in, in the Old Testament? Well, he was the Why youngest. was he a shepherd as the lowest son or the last brother? He was was the youngest, it to continue so. this or to kind of set up this narrative in Scripture of how God does things? It is a picture. Obviously, it's bigger than that. But let's just look at it from a human perspective. He, Everybody, was, so he was the least of the brothers. He was yeah. the lowly. The, the rest, rest were out were fighting, fighting battles. Yeah. The right. rest were saving the nation. This is the lowest of the low. He is doing the least job you can get. But here's the cool thing about David. One day, the least will become the greatest. Mm-hmm. And in that season the great, the of least being be the, the least, he was preparing for the season Ooh. where he would be the highest. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. Before you can lead a nation, you got to be willing to lead sheep. Right. That's a lot to think about. Or you so lead your greatest, family, you got to be willing to lead yourself. Lead yourself. So when the greatest king of the universe, Andrew, enters the world, mm-hmm. he doesn't come in a palace, he comes in a cave. When the king of the world comes in, he doesn't co- come in the courts of men, he comes to shepherd. He doesn't come in royal garments, he comes in swallowing cloths. He doesn't come to the praises of men, he comes to the sound of animals. God is telling us something. This helpless human being is going to grow up from the manger. The king of the universe is going to go to the cross. He's going to die for our sin. He's going to be put in a grave, and he's going to raise from, rise from the dead. And it shows us that Jesus, even on earth, didn't have anything, right? Before he dies, he didn't have a home. He didn't have a coin to pay tax. Jesus right. had to borrow everything, by the way. Mm-hmm. The humility of Jesus. He didn't have a home. Guy says, hey, I'll follow you. I don't have a place to yeah. stay. We don't have a place to meet. He didn't have a coin. He had to borrow to pay taxes. He didn't own a donkey to ride into town triumphantly. He had to borrow a boat to preach, a place to sleep, and an upper room to eat. I mean, Jesus has nothing mm-hmm. by the world, and yet the one who has nothing owns everything. Mm-hmm. It's hard to wrap our mind around this, yeah. that the one who gives life gave up his life for us. So what kingdom, as we close, are you living in? The kingdom of Jesus is very different than the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of Herod. And you could take Herod out and put a name in. Right. Any name from the world, right? So what kingdom are you living in as we close? Are you living in the kingdom of pride and power and self-sufficiency? Or are you living in the kingdom of peace and shalom that comes through humility? God repels pride, gives grace to the humble. So practically, if somebody is living for their own kingdom, or the world's kingdom right now, what's a good first step, would you say, to make that shift to start living for God's kingdom? Oh, that's a great question. That's the, in fact, that was the message of John and Jesus right out the gate. Yeah. Now you'll see why, why do you think, we'll get to this, why do you think John's first message and Jesus's first words are the exact same? Repent. The time has come, my friends. Yeah. Get ready. Buckle your spiritual seatbelts. It's happening. Repent and believe right. for the kingdom of heaven is near or here. Better translation is here. Mm -hmm. So I would say the first thing to do is to repent. You got to realize the question is, how do I know who's leading the kingdom of my life? The question is, who's on the throne of your heart? Right. Are you calling the shots or 
is Jesus calling the shots? Right. Because that would, that's how it would start. I would willingly, fully surrender everything mm -hmm. to Jesus and start there. Now, I know that's overwhelming and that can be a, a, a little you know, unnerving, but that's the beginning yeah. of following a king. You give up all your rights, all the keys, and you follow him. I'll give you one little tidbit as we finish, which I think is fascinating, and I tell you to remind me, and here it is. Hmm. Did you notice that in Matthew chapter 2, the first line says King Herod. They came to King Herod. Right. Then you'll notice in line 3, it says when King Herod heard this. But I want you to notice after they share with King Herod the prophecy mm. that God has sent his king, wow. the one true king to the world, notice how they refer to Herod in verse 7. It simply says, then Herod, no king, secretly wow. summoned the wise men. And what Matthew is doing is making a statement. He's saying from this point on, you'll never find me in this entire gospel mm. refer to the man with the title king again. Why? Because there's only one king right. and his name is Jesus. Jesus. Wow, Amen. that's good. That's good. Well, hey, we talked about repentance real quick is that practical step. So I wanna encourage you, if you're listening to this right now, if you're watching this on YouTube, if you have questions, one, we would love to connect with you. You can connect with us on social media at The Forgotten Jesus. Simply send us a message. We'll respond. We can't wait to have that conversation with you. But also, God has put other believers in your life, maybe your local pastor, a minister at your church. If you come here at Long Hollow, you can talk to any of us at any time. But I want to encourage you not to sleep on that conversation, but to go ahead and be proactive and have that conversation. Ask questions to those around you. Thank you for joining us on this episode, and we'll see you on the next one.